The Healthcare Quality Cast is powered by the Quality Coaching Company. If you'd like to work with us to earn your Lean Six Sigma for healthcare certification or partner with our innovative corporate training and coaching programs to successfully scale your continuous improvement initiatives, then click the link below to learn more and apply. Hey, quality people, welcome to the Healthcare Quality Cast. I'm your host, Jarvis Gray, and in this podcast, we spotlight today's most exciting and inspiring industry leaders. We dive deep into the career journeys of these leaders that work daily to improve quality, safety, and service outcomes for their patients, their family members, and their communities at large. Our mission is to provide motivation and direction to our listeners, encouraging you all to continue your efforts in improving the overall quality of healthcare. Now, let's meet today's quality guests. Thank you for joining in on another episode of the Healthcare Quality Cast. And today I'm here with my guest, Reka Foraganti. Reka, are you ready to share with some quality people? Yes, let's do it. Perfect. Well, Reiko, we love to start every show with positive affirmations to really get our momentum going. So I would love if you could share a favorite leadership quote or leadership mindset, but tell us why it appeals to you and how do you apply it on a daily basis? Absolutely. So um, it's a Simon Sinek, uh, I'm sorry if I butchered his last name, quote, um, and it's the responsibility of leadership is not to come up with all the ideas. The responsibility of leadership is to create an environment in which great ideas can thrive. And I like this quote because it connects me back to my intention, right, of why I'm being asked um, to a meeting or why uh, and what my role is. Um, And I like that um, it is also a reminder of how I can be uh, best used. you know, it's, I'm a part of the team and it should help. And as a valuable member of the team, I should encourage leaders to delegate and to stimulate problem solving. And so how can I like leverage my expertise in those conversations with our leaders um, to help them with uh, encouraging problem solving? Perfect. Yeah. You know, as you shared that quote, Rika, that that's exactly where my thoughts went as well. Um, for the work we do in quality, we are facilitators. We are, you know, change agents where we're hopefully kind of walking people down the path, but, you know, giving them the chance to make that choice. And that's that's absolutely what I hear in that, that Simon Sinek quote is, you know, creating the opportunity and, and letting them make the choice. Hopefully the choice is going to uh, to work for the betterment of our organizations. That's exactly absolutely. where my mind is. So perfect. I love that quote to get us started. Um, Reka, I would love to move you to the next question. This is a chance to um, get to know you a little bit more. And so sure. for this next one, I if you can uh, quickly just, you know, describe the work you're doing, your current role, your professional background, um, but most importantly, what led you into this uh, career path? Oh, this is such a great question. Um, So my current role is Senior Quality Improvement Coordinator at Nationwide Children's Hospital, and I support our our home care and hospice service line. Um, and so I have been in the role for under a year, uh, and this is my first uh, dedicated quality role. My background, um, since about 2011, I've tinkered around um, community health, um, 
in various roles, but always focused on teaching and helping others how to live their best life, how to navigate um, our healthcare industry. Um, a lot, all of my professional background is in healthcare. Let me first say that, um, but in various aspects of it. So at the community level, um, as well as on the inpatient side. But my QI, quote unquote, professional development really started when I started at Nationwide Children's Hospital, where um, I was introduced to a, um, I'm sure every company has this, like, learn how to put together an Excel worksheet 101. And it really came from a need. I was, at the time, I was working on a state grant and had a lot of data to manage. And I'm like, there's got to be a better way to do this. And so I looked at our learning opportunities, saw this was available, happened to be uh, the training in my same building. So it was like a win-win. And then from that data management class, you know, what you're able to do in two hours turnaround is apply what you learn right away, right? See if it works. Um, and so from that one Excel class, it, then I was like, oh, this is great. Well, I need more. So I was um, linked into our internal like QI training course. We call it Quality Tools School. It's fantastic. And that changed my life. Honest to God, it changed my life. I was like, the way that they problem solve and look at problems and uh, the tools that they're using, the techniques, this totally works with my personality. And I could see how I could leverage this for relationship building. But more importantly, it developed myself and my skills, right? As a young professional, um, if, if at best, any internal course that's available should indicate to you, this is what your organization wants you to understand, right? This is how we problem solve. Um, so it's a, it's, it's an endorsed resource, so to speak. So from then, um, fast forward, maybe four years later, I needed more. Um, and I was at that kind of, oh, I need to go to graduate school, fork in the road, and um, stumbled upon the Master's of Business Operational Excellence at The Ohio State University, and just got knee deep in it. And it was just amazing, um, where now I get to see this at like, uh, you know, like literally Jim Womack is in front of me lecturing me um, and telling me about Toyota. Katie Anderson was my executive coach. I mean, like I hate to name drop, but I am. <laughs> uh, I mean, it is a phenomenal program. I'm incredibly biased, but, um, but anyhow, then coming back to my organization and being able to apply it in this new role has just been so gratifying uh, beyond belief. Uh, so I really love what I do. I just, I have found that quality helped me as a professional leverage my strength, be a support for my clinical team um, and leadership in a reliable and effective manner um, is, uh, is kind of where I'm at right now. Did I, how'd I do Jarvis? <laughs> you did an amazing job. I'm, you know, since we're name dropping, uh, I'm happy share that Katie Anderson has been a guest on this podcast as well. So I know. 
knowing great people. Um, you know, Rick, I, I have to admit, um, I was just looking on LinkedIn. So we had the opportunity to connect on LinkedIn. Um, it looks like back in 2019, and I, I apologize. I'm usually pretty good with at least saying thank you for connections, but this is the first official time, you know, outside of me asking you to join the podcast that we've talked. But um, I have to admit, when we first connected, um, something that stood out in your background that really, you know, just caught my interest personally and was one of the, the motivating things to, to get you onto the show also was your background in health literacy. Yeah, um, thank you. Love, yeah, if you could take a second to just, you know, highlight what that is and kind of give yeah. us the, the quick over, um, because it's still a fairly new concept to me personally, but even if there's other folks in our audience, um, we'd love for you to introduce that a little bit. Yeah, excellent uh, question, Jarvis. So I'll give you the new, um, as of August 2020 CDC, definition of health literacy. And it's two parts um, because health literacy is applied both at the individual level and at the organizational level. So the what is personal health literacy is the degree to which individuals have the ability to find, understand, and use information and services to inform health-related decisions and actions for themselves and others. We, um, the field itself, decided to do a revision of just that and ex- that definition and expand it to the organization to highlight the healthcare organization's responsibility in each of each individual's health literacy abilities, and so. What is organizational health literacy, which is the degree to which organizations equitably enable individuals to find, understand, and use information and services to find, excuse me, to inform health-related decisions and actions for themselves and others. So we see right at the Right at the beginning there, our framework is system thinking. And we're thinking about who the individual that's interacting with our healthcare system. And are is that individual able to expertly navigate through our system with little to no assistance, right? Getting deploying and getting that um, the, the the that information that's appropriate for them as they continue to heal or participate in the in the care continuum with us. So how did that feel, uh, Jarvis? Any questions, Jarvis, about what those definitions mean? What's coming to your mind? Yeah, so, you know, really, now that you've given that additional clarity, and uh, I appreciate that, what where my head goes is, you know, I'm trailing back to all of my years in healthcare. Honestly, again, like I said, that that was the thing that, you know, kind of attracted me to your profile. Because I saw it was like health literacy. What is this thing, right? Um, I can't say that I've ever come across a health literacy expert within any of the organizations I worked in. So really the question that comes to mind is how widespread, especially now that we have two definitions for organizations, for individuals that are coming from top authority groups like the CDC, um, how pervasive is this concept of health literacy? Are there are there more rakas out there in the world that, that we just haven't come across yet? I tell you, you know, that is um, very much how I felt when I was introduced to health literacy. That I, I what I found was, you know, during my 
professional progression, I was actually doing a lot of health literacy or health literacy promoting um, uh, activities, right, and interaction, but I didn't know what that was. So when I was introduced to it, I'm like, oh, that's what that was, right? And you start to look at the world a little differently. It's kind of like when you're introduced to QI, right? You start looking at the world a lot differently. So you do ask yourself questions like, well, I hope that the next person has a good experience like I did, right? A smooth experience. I don't know if they knew how much I knew coming into this appointment. I hope that they do, right? So if you really want um, to do this work, that's what it means first. So uh, going back to your point about importance, I think it's important to know, <laughs> and please don't feel offended or less informed, but since 2006, there have been formal comments from three U.S. Surgeon Generals, uh, HH uh, Secretary and Assistant Secretary and former CC Director that have all put out formal statements that support the importance of health literacy impact to our public health needs. So unfortunately, you and I, Jarvis, were behind the ball <laughs> where we got introduced to this because it, in fact, it is um, incorporated once again in our Healthy People 2030 goals. So health literacy is out there and, and recognized as a, a, a very effective um, measure and, and um, framework, really, how to best support our patients um, and drive best outcomes. All right. And then one more question that does come to mind, because I know, you know, with the world we live in within healthcare, um, where regulations go, that's where our, our organizations go, or where the money goes, that's where right. many of our healthcare organizations go. So um, the, the thought that comes to mind also, do you know if there are any regulatory statements that support, you know, formal health literacy programs or support models within healthcare organizations? Yes, absolutely. I'm going to keep Going back to the CDC, um, so if you go to our cdc.gov uh, website and type in health, two words, literacy, um, you will be right at the center of the, the best and the most up-to-date resources. What I recommend is to visit the list of organization committees that are doing this work. They'll have um, conferences, resources. Um, to even regional resources for you to tap in. Um, from a QI perspective, the NAS, there's also a link to the National Action Plan to Improve Health Literacy, and it's a, it's a tactical plan in how to improve health literacy in a population health type sense. Um, and so, you know, the, there are regulations. I, in the, if there are any regulation that is um, about clear communication, right? The JCO standards have patient education standards, uh, clear communication, health literacy, as you get to better understand this, this area is patient education, but it is each back. It's ask me three. It's all of those. Um, it's language access. It's those resources, but it's the dynamic of the resource and the receiver that is health literacy. Is that hap is that resulting in the desired outcome? How are we driving? So go to the cdc.gov health literacy. You will be introduced to all fantastic, both nationally and internationally. Perfect. Now I appreciate all of that extra info. And I know, 
you know, the folks here wasn't health literacy, but again, those were the things that really, you know, prompted me to just, you know, connect with you through LinkedIn and ultimately snag you onto this podcast. So I appreciate that. So forgive me, Jarvis. Um, let me uh, support my point as why are, why did all those important people, um, you know, advocate for health literacy? And I think oh, absolutely. if I could just briefly share five talking points, so Let's which are it. off the cdc.gov, but Again, when I was early in my education, their introduction of health literacy, and by the way, shout out to Dr. Marianne Abrams for guiding me this entire way. She is a jewel um, to this field of resource, uh, research and uh, continues to be a great, great uh, influence on my life. So talking point number one, nine of 10 adults in the US struggle to understand and use health information when it's unfamiliar, complex, or jargon-filled. I don't think we're going to get a lot of pushback on that. Well, and I, I, I mean, just that stat alone is interesting because I know, you know, things like, um, you know, our Presgany or patient satisfaction surveys, they test for that. They ask around that. And it's still interesting to, to know that that statistic is that powerful. So I think where the danger in, in um, uh, getting some relief from that metric of, yes, I understood what the, my nurse or my doctor told me is that's good. Let's look at their actions, right? Afterwards, did they actually go see the specialist? Did they fill the med or did they come back when we told them to, you know, or why did they go to the ED? That is health literacy, that connection. So yes, that's good that they are rating us. Optimally, they're saying we're communicating well, let's support it with action. So it's evidence, right? Um, so that's good. Number two, limited health literacy costs the healthcare system money, resulting in higher than necessary morbidity and mortality. No, none of our healthcare systems want to be penalized, or even the cost to human, you know, the community, the the human cost. We don't want to be agents, right, to add to that. And if it's just because they didn't know we offered a service, or they didn't know how to get to it was the reason that led to that death or that led to that incident, that can be prevented. So number three, this is what is inspiring about health literacy is health literacy can be improved if we practice clear communication strategies and techniques. And item number four just reinforces that, which is clear communicate means using familiar concepts, words, numbers, and images presented in ways that make sense to the people who need that information. Meet our patients where they are. That's where you get that understanding. And finally, five is testing the testing information, right? Testing information with the audience before it's released and asking for feedback are the ways are the best ways to know if we are communicating clearly. We have to test for feedback even for the information is is relatable and is accessible to the general public. So again, these are those, you know, the health literacy five talking points. And it's things that we understand and know, maybe familiar with and interact with, but now we have a name for it. Uh, that, that's exceptional criteria. I mean, even that last one, testing for feedback. I think that that one point alone could be a game changer for how we communicate a lot of uh, our health standards, our service expectations with patients and so forth. So that's that's very unique. 
interesting. But we know this in QI, right? That's the yeah. that's the purpose of the pilot, right? Yeah, Let's that's it. try very small and then learn and scale, learn and scale, yeah. try and try, right? So the health literacy QI linkage is, I think, very obvious. You know, I think it it can um, maybe soften a little bit of the QI in healthcare, maybe <laughs> if that feels too rigid for you, because we're looking at interpersonal communications and attributes, right? How do we communicate integrity and reliability and safety, and how do they respond? One of our um, key key activities or a milestone really in my QI, um, getting back to my QI experience with health literacy was um, when in 2015, I was able, I had the privilege really of assembling an internal task force, right? So just like how we're really excited about talking about health literacy, imagine, you know, me getting my introduction there. I work at an organization that has other people that are excited about health literacy. So the task force was kind of an assembly. I did it as a management um, strategy, really, to kind of let's get all this expertise together. Let's have one big conversation about this and really get as many ideas to the table. And we all felt like there were strong, there's strong definitions out there, but there was just little evidence, right, to support a lot of this theory, um, good theory based on, you know, knowledgeable and evidentiary um, studies. So our response was actually to complete the very first um, uh, evaluation of our organization as a health literate healthcare organization. So we utilized an evidence-based um, uh, tool. It's called the Enliven uh, 10 Attributes of a Health Literate Healthcare Organization. And we completed the evaluation by selecting uh, specific stakeholders in our leadership, medical leadership, and um, uh, patient service division leaderships to capture those systems and those critical health literacy inputs and activities and what they thought, how well we were performing to those standards that were outlined. And so with the assistance of Dr. Abrams and our task force, we were able to identify our strengths and weaknesses. So we were doing really well in inter interpersonal communications, but not as great in our language access. Or, um, um, and we were significantly um, leaving out health literacy as a part of our planning and um, um, future planning and uh, strategic planning exercises. So that the, the evaluation just gave us like data to figure out, okay, this is where we think we are, which was about 50%. What should we try to get to? And uh, which was 70%. So again, it gave us, it gave us the ability to kind of work through what is there, right? In terms of um, in this tool, let's apply it. Let's see what happens. Um, and we were given somewhat of a, um, of a, plan then an action plan to address start addressing those gaps and so we did and there's some evidence of of the remnants of that work of that uh task force we actually have um a pedia podcast by dr mike it's the plain language pedia pediatrics plain language pediatrics and plain language um with dr mike fantastic pediacast and uh, we even celebrated Health Literacy Month and taking the Plain Language Pledge as an organization-wide activity. So again, um, 
It's a, it's a very interesting field. If you're interested in it, um, definitely go to the cdc.gov, health literacy, um, and, and folks can reach out to me. Happy to talk endlessly about that. <laughs> uh, you know, this, this is honestly, is kind of one of those cool experiences where, you know, I, I get to pat myself on the back because I know I brought on the right experts onto the podcast. Um, that was phenomenal with the additional resources, uh, way more than I even thought I'd learned today about health literacy. Um, Rick, I want to move you to our next question. And, um, you know, I've been kind of calling this now the, the dark place question, but I would love if you could take us to a point back um, on, on your journey as a healthcare quality professional, healthcare leader, um, to what you would consider your best moment of failure. I love yes. you. Take us through that scenario. Um, let us know, you know, the ins and outs at a high level, at least. But most importantly, let us know the major lessons learned that you took from it. Absolutely. Um, so I had mentioned uh, my uh, the MBOE, the Master's of Business Operational Excellence, and was fortunate enough to have Katie Anderson as my coach. Uh, in the course, during the course of the program, your coach will come out twice during uh, the program for Gemba. And when Katie came on her second visit, I the assignment was to show her our visual management boards. And as the health literacy program coordinator, I also had oversight of our reach out and read program, which is uh, early literacy pediatric primary care intervention. Uh, but primarily I was responsible for the resources that supported that program. Um, and so I, I mean, blood, sweat and tears, right? Putting together the most fabulous, isn't this great visual management whiteboard. I don't, can't even tell you how many times I went to load. Um, and Katie, as Katie does, graciously walks in. She's with my team. We're looking at the board and she looks right at my coordinator. And she says, how does this help you with your work? And I have a very good relationship with all of my teammates. And at the time she reported to me, Noel. Um, and I looked at her and she said, honestly to Katie, you know, that's a good question. And so I like swallowed my tongue, right? And I just stood there humbly and nodded my head. Um, and Katie could see that there was significant learning happening <laughs> on my end. And I, and so my, my lesson, right, there was a few things. Um, I, in my feelings of defeat, right, I'm terribly uncomfortable with failure at that point in time, terribly uncomfortable. So I need to be okay with failure. Um, you know, tools are only good um, as what, the, what as what they are used for. If tools aren't used, they're no good. Um, and really focus should always be developing the team first, then the tools. And that's what I forgot. I forgot, hey, what are, you know, what what's preventing us from getting to excellent today? You tell me. What do you know? What what do I need to give you, or what information, or how can we work this? Or what's you know? Develop the team first. Don't develop the tools first. <laughs> All right. So, a couple of my favorite parts as you told that story. Um, you know, first the the look that you said. You know, you you could tell Katie looked at you, and you were having those moments of learning. I I, I could see like the real thoughts that were going in your head. Like crap, crap. Crap, crap, crap. Um, 
you know, so, so, you know, I, I'm finding, you know, fun in your story, but I can imagine. Oh, yeah. um, but, you know, when you mentioned in your story right at the very beginning, you know, how many trips you went to Lowe's or, or Home Depot, whichever, I already knew where the story was going. <laughs> <laughs> willing to bet many of our listeners, anybody that kind of hears that story and they've done visual boards, they probably knew where that story was going as well. Um, I've seen so many absolutely beautiful, beautiful visual boards and hundreds of dollars spent on the magnetic walls. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all things that come with it. And that, that one question that Katie asked uh, was that one little piece of thread that you could tug on and make it all unravel. So um, great story, great takeaways, Katie, great question and great coaching. Um, so I, I loved it. I, I'm not even going to dig too much deeper. I want to get you out of that moment for what it's worth, because yeah. that one spoke for itself. But your, your takeaways were phenomenal as well. You know, developing the team, focusing on the team and not the tools. I mean, your 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 takeaways were spot on. I love that. Really good story. Oh, thank you. I mean, it's so true. Like I, I struggled with failure, right? Or your, your, know, your moments of failure because there's so, like that was so pivotal for me, right? Like, duh, <laughs> you know, like I'm doing it with the tools. Like, of course, it's the team. So, had I not had that happen, you know, I don't, I don't think we, I would be talking to you right now. No, no. Well, I, I'm thankful for it. that. That was one of the best moments of failure that I've heard on this podcast so far. Mm. That was- that was pretty solid. Wow, Jarvis. Yeah, I, I love amazing. it. Amazing. Yeah. No, seriously, I, I could read so many ways. So I, I, <laughs> I um, let let me dig you up out of there, Rika. Just uh, yeah. you know, to move to the next question. Um, would love if you can give our quality people a tip, tool, or tactic that you found works really well for building up those intimate connections on the different project teams that you're working with. Um, share with us what it is and how do you apply it. Hands down, and I've tested this stakeholder one-on-ones. I know it is a Outlook calendar killer, but man, you got to do it. You have to do it. That is a part of my leader standard work. Every first first week of every month, it's at least, if I can't dedicate 60 minutes with this stakeholder of this project, and, and if you do this work long enough, you know that that stakeholder is involved in a multitude of projects that absolutely overlap in your portfolio. So, you know, kind of getting to your question about relationship building, this is that one-on-one, if you're allowed to do so, is a way to build rapport. It is a way to learn about one another. It's a, it's a time to not talk about quality, right? It's a, it's, 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 if anything, if you're in a work environment where you're unsure, you know, does everyone have a safe place to kind of, to fail, you know, at least in that one-on-one, you can create that for them. You can create that with being humble and, and, you know, showing your flaws first um, and then talk about the business. Right. And you'll start to develop a consistency and, and uh, you know, that I know that's a, the answer to another one of your questions, but you know, being consistent is what people value, man. Well, and and I, so, I, oh, I'm sorry. Go. Oh no, I'm so sorry. So, how do I apply it? I'm sorry. Um, so, like I said, it's part of my leader standard work. I have seven managers I meet with first beginning of the week. Our committee meetings are mid month. I meet with my VP at the end of the month, and every month, that's you know, in some form or fashion, that's the way it goes. Yeah, no, I, I wanted to commend you on that. I, I would say, um, and, and this is on my list of things to do at some point, 
in the future um, to start listening back to many of these conversations that I've been having. But one of the biggest, um, you know, gaps that many of my guests have shared within their work or their projects have been um, related somehow to poor stakeholder management. And so to hear that that's one of your top tools and it's a part of your standard work, I think is an awesome takeaway um, because we all know, you know, those stakeholders, they will make or break us every single time. Absolutely. So I I love that takeaway, but then your other point too about being consistent. I mean, if, if there was a brand for us as quality improvement professionals, consistency, communications, those are the two things that are, I mean, those are career killers or career drivers. for Absolutely. The so I, I want to commend you on both of those. And I guess my, my question um, to go off script just a little bit, but for being in this virtual environment, are you still able to keep the consistency with those, those contacts? Um, and and how's, how's that going? Are any tips or takeaways for doing a lot of what you're doing virtually um, given uh, COVID? You know what? I'm so glad you asked me this question because when I st- I literally started this role February 1 of 2020, okay? And we all know what kind of subsequently happened March 1 of 2020, right? So Cube is all set up. She looks good, you know, Reka, smiley, smiley. <laughs> I only, it only had about a week to do that. So you got to do more, right? Um, and I'll tell you what I did is I leveraged my inexperience, you know, I'm like, I'm sorry, I got to bother you for another hour for the week, but you are so helping my learning, right? And they are. Um, and so again, I think I kind of lucked out, right? Like I turned this, like, oh my goodness, how am I going to build relationships through an eight and a half screen, you know, like, um, but it was a, a way really to, you know, keep maintain those meetings. I think virtual takes a lot of the logistics out of it. So it's uh, people are willing to have those conversations uh, <clears throat> more readily. Uh, and I think they were all really interested in, in having me learn. So I lucked out. <laughs> well, I, I love how you, again, you turned, you turned the situation of the world into something that you can leverage. Um, and I love what you said too, you leverage your inexperience. So I, I call it, you know, I've been in situations where I'll tell folks, okay, I'm the dummy in the room, or I need to play dumb for a second to get your attention. And then I with all the questions and, and utilize their time effectively in that manner. So um, I, I love, you know, leveraging that to your advantage to build those relationships. Very, very smooth. Okay. If I could, Jarvis, let me ask you a question. So has this ever, I'm sure this has happened many times to you and I'm certain this has happened to those who on your listen, um, you know, you're in a meeting and conversations going well. And then there's this kind of like, okay, I know the quality person might have the answer, right? And you can almost feel that when that's coming. They're like, okay, and what do you think, Rika? And like my my standard response is, hey, I am the least clinically qualified person that you want to ask a question about. And, you know, it's again, it's just, I'm just a guy who answers the questions, man. I can't tell you what the answers are. You guys are the experts. Let's talk it through. You know, so it kind of, it kind of gets away from this, like, um, this, uh, you know, silver bullet mentality. It's like, no, just because you have quality, we're just here to help, help you all do better. That's it. 
Yeah, you know, there there's a couple of ways I I tackle some of those situations. You know, many of the meetings I've been in over the years kind of put you on the spot like that. Um, you know, the default, I'm pretty sure all of all of our listeners, yourself, you know, will will say the default is it depends, right? That's that's mm-hmm. a go to for, you know, slipping a few more seconds to think, depending on what the, what the question is. But, um, you know, I'm in the mindset now, and it, this is, again, Reka, I've been doing this since 2007 on my end. And, you know, I finally even worked up enough guts to leave corporate life and do it through my own business now. So I'm really in this mindset of being the expert. So that's a lot of, you know, if, and you'll hear me say it even in, through a number of these past episodes with a variety of the different guests. Um, so I believe now be the expert. If they're asking you something that is connected to what we do is in process improvement, if it's something around data analytics, process mapping, you know, something around improvement, absolutely put that hat on and guide them through the scenario. Give them, or at least give them the menu. Okay, well guys, if you, option A, this is what it could look like, but here are the pros and cons, option B and so forth. Um, but yeah, anything, you know, when we start talking clinical stuff, patient care, you talk to the wrong, I tell everybody, if you see me touching a patient, something bad is happening. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I know my role, I know my lane. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, I yeah. think you're so right. Like that's, you know, that's the, 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 the most exciting part, right. About the discovery process, right. Is when you start to see this awareness bloom and it happens like at the team level. Right. And like quality just, again, helps facilitate that development. So you're exactly right. And, you know, one of the, you know, talking about um, going back to your thought around just meeting with your stakeholders and your champions, um, one of the conversations that I do bring up when I'm having champion meetings with, you know, if it's an executive or whomever is the champion of a project, I ask them, how do they want me to facilitate? Because, again, I, I trust myself enough that I can either lead you up the mountain, I could push you up the mountain, but, you know, let me know the way you want me to lead. And so we don't conflict on, you know, sponsor leadership versus me as the facilitator. And so if they want to be in front and I kind of work the back to make sure everybody stays in between us or vice versa. Um, so I think getting the leadership clarity, uh, you know, how we facilitate versus how we partner with the champions or other leaders, that's uh, that's an honest conversation I bring because I, I'm... The, my personality type is jump on my shoulders and I will walk us all up the mountain if we have to, right. we're going to get up that mountain. Right? So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. I'll, um, uh, one thing that, you know, I, I remember when I, in my conversations with Katie over the phone, she has a masterful way of questioning, question answering. And, um, and one question she would always ask me, right is how can, how can she do better? And that question is intriguing because, you know, you know, Jarvis, what can I do better, right? It's, it's me literally inviting your feedback. And if, if you, you know, you feel like you're struggling with transparency or like how to be, like do humble inquiry, like at, at its basic level, start with that question. Like, how can I do better to help? And I found myself like, very, very uncomfortable being even honest about like what I needed from her initially, right? Why is that? Well, why don't I trust this process, right? What does that say about my intention in this conversation? So that, you know, I would say to people like, 
integrate that question. If you feel like you're having, you know, issues with building trust too, like, how can I be, how can I do better? I love it. I love that, that moment of self-reflection, but that that's a powerful question, especially if you're asking it to other leaders or team members. Um, yeah. And not waiting for formal evaluations or anything, but just pull it out of them naturally. Um, Awesome sharing, uh, Rick. Awesome, you know everything so far. You you give me goosebumps on this side. It, it's really good. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, Jarvis. <laughs> um, cool have for you here. So let me see. Uh, get back on script because I know we just yeah, went. Sorry. <laughs> no, that was wonderful. Um, I would love if you could share with us, Rika, an aha moment oh. that you've had healthcare leader, but again, you know, share with us, you know, what was that moment? How did the idea strike you? And definitely if you were able to turn it into a personal or a professional success. Absolutely. So um, I mentioned, you know, I started in the role on February 1st of 2020. Cube is ready. I look very serious and excited about my role, right? And um, as I'm kind of learning the lay of the land, um, management kind of sits on the periphery. And you know, it's commonplace that managers orient new new staff. And I hear not my name, but my title being said in this meeting. And um, then the statement of, I don't know what she does. And I, I was like, you know, naturally you are like, whoa, what's that about, right? Um, but then I took another step back. And instead of being offended by that statement, it made me more interested in understanding why. And because this was a service line, right, that I had no interaction with. In fact, I don't even have, I'm not even a, you know, a direct report of their management. Like what I know from that statement is I'm not being trusted right now, right? I'm like being put at a distance. And, um, and so what, what interested me about it was, you know, what was, was enough to kind of propel me to better understand why. And then after having a conversation, you know, again, that's why having those scheduled one-on-ones work, man. Um, <clears throat> I, I understood that in the previously, quote unquote, QI wasn't, wasn't really interested in their area, which of course, you know, as an evangelist, I'm like, what are you talking about QI is everything. Um, and so when I came away from that uh, conversation, I, I was really motivated to think about, okay, how can I best support that supervisor, right? Maybe QI, you know, the way his understanding of QI isn't going to work. That's okay. I can support them by just, you know, by showing that I'm interested in what they do. Um, because again, leveraging my own experience, I don't know where those opportunities are, will lie, and it would be a disservice to my learning. So if anything, we're learning one, from one another. So there's nothing wrong with just saying hi, right? And then at the heart of it, right, maybe what was so conflicting when I heard that um, statement was, you know, at the, at the heart of QI, it, it requires collaboration, right? And so it was, it, it made me, again, kind of get back to my beliefs and like, again, knowing that QI is best uh, best implemented or it happens, magic really happens when, when everybody succeeds. So, you know, when I'm thinking about, okay, well, what's, what's my risk in bothering the supervisor, even if he thinks QI is an annoyance, right? Is I may get more work out of it. Big deal. 
right? That's why we're there. So, you know, you're not, it's a no lose game. Um, so what, you know, so how did it help and turn it into my professional success? Well, it's interesting. So wouldn't, again, that was February one. So when we transitioned to the work from home, right, we were just able to kind of uh, continue those conversations, continue that learning. So that really helped me just kind of be a little awkward and be a little like, hey, what do you guys do? That's great. This is what I do. You know, I hope we can team up sometime. And if anything, you come away better understanding a little bit about what each other's worlds are. And there's there's never a, a so there's always some a, a, a benefit from doing that, being a little awkward. Well, and I'll say, you know, Rekha, between that story and just, again, some of your uh, your earlier stories, you know, your your um, your best moment of failure, even, uh, I'm starting to pick up this theme and let me know if I'm right or, you know, kind of in the right place or not, but um, you definitely seem very, very reflective, intentional with your reflection um, as you go through, you know, your days or your weeks with your teams. Um, but then I also get this very strong feeling of just courageous, like, it sounds like even in your moments of failure, or even, you know, working with the team you were just kind of denoting, um, you're still like, okay, you reflect and you're like, whatever, and you still go for it. Um, those are still, uh, those are themes that I'm just picking out as you're sh- sharing these stories, but um, I just want to commend you on both of them. That's very I, kind uh, of you, Jarvis. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and I, I say that because I was working with uh a group not too long ago, just a couple of months ago, and they kept referring to me as the consultant. And I was like, mm. hmm, the consultant has a name. Like, we're, mm-hmm. we're going to come to some really, you know, like I, I confronted it. And then I don't know, if, I'm not saying that was right or wrong, but the way that you even said, you know, like I, I took it in pace, I reflected, you know, there was a reason for it. Like you took it in and you still went forward to develop those relationships. And I love that. So yeah, no worries. No, I think it's just, you got to get out of your own way. Sometimes you just got to get out of your head. And um, yeah, I'm getting ahead of myself. But yeah, that's what you got to do. <laughs> oh, good stuff. All right. So next question I have for you, let's see where you go with this one. What are some changes taking place right now across the healthcare industry that you're excited about? And what role do you see quality professionals playing to promote or support this longevity? So this takes me right back to my health literacy days. And when I am, I am certain that as I was building my health literacy body of knowledge, so to speak, and putting it into practice, I subconsciously identified QI as that as an absolute expert mechanism to do this work. And so what excites me the most is the work around health equity. I think that this administration you know, the third, the third executive order, third or fourth executive order directly spoke to health equity is it's not exciting, but it's overdue. So, you know, as a woman of color um, who understands that she wakes up a woman of color every day, you know, it is, it is not refreshing, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's overdue. Like I said, it's comforting in some respects that health equity is being considered and being prioritized. So, you know, that's what excites me the most. Unfortunately, from the pandemic, we have seen, you know, we've exacerbated some of these inequities. But again, it's top of mind. It's forefront. I think if we, we should absolutely leverage this moment to do so. And what health, excuse me, what um, quality improvement allows us to do, right, 
is we're able to to create the sound analysis, right? That's uh, statistical analysis uh, around health equity, like doing a health equity check before did we really did did we really make an improvement for every child, you know, or every patient? Do we, you know, are we looking at our patients beyond their conditions? And if those are just conditions, then how do we you know how do we mitigate or get rid of or enhance? Um, health equity is very exciting to me and tying it with uh, our QI and applying it with our QI methodology, I think will just strengthen um, not only the importance of health equity, but then build standards. You know, it's all about the money. Uh, and so we definitely want to see some CMS um, standards around that and um, as well as uh, evidence-based modeling and, and things as such that QI can absolutely bring. Oh, well, I, I will double down with you on that. Um, that is one of the things I'm personally excited about myself. And when you, I mean, to bring it back to the pandemic, like you mentioned, I mean, we're seeing the groups who are disproportionately affected by COVID versus the other groups. We are seeing the groups who are ex more accepting, more trusting of the vaccines than other groups. And so if this isn't a time for change around health equity and other barriers, there will never be a better time. So unfortunately, it took, a it took a pandemic and a whole you know, administration change to help bring more focus to it. But at least we're here. So um, I'm yeah. right there with you. Great call out. Um, let me ask you this. Um, are there things within the healthcare industry itself that can start to change or kind of, you know, at least be addressed also? to make healthcare a more attractive place for ambitious, talented, quality oh. to start and or grow their careers? So I work with a lot of in the QIS department, uh, my department I work at, there are more non-health industry folks than health industry folks. Um, and I think one of the barriers to entry, so to speak, is this competing of expertise, right? Oh my gosh, how am I going to tell a doctor what to, what they're doing is wrong, right? Like, who am I? Um, but I'm really smart and I know what I like to do. So um, what I would say is that um, healthcare at its best is a learning experience, right? The best doctors understand that they are an educator first. And that starts with how, you know, that's how they build their trust. So I would say um, don't let, you know, your inexperience in the medical field or if you can, can't even stand the sight of blood, <laughs> um, stop you from, from even just exploring health, uh, quality improvement in healthcare. Um, if you like learning different things with about different people, learning, like working with, I mean, all types of people, you're talking, you know, in my institute alone, we have... Uh, two of the PIs that worked on the human genome project, you know, they're just in the building <laughs> right over there. And I can email them as easily as I can email my boss, right? And um, I would say that it is, healthcare is a unique industry in that it affects everyone you know, and every day you will make a difference in your own way. So love the the, the call out for folks, you know, in that mindset. Um, and, and again, just kind of double down on what you're sharing there. I've was recently sharing with someone that um, I was working on a project and one of the other um, lean folks on the team was an HR professional. Mm -hmm. And that was my first 
I'm, you know, working with a, a lean minded, a process improvement minded, you know, professional who came with an HR background. But in my time, I've had construction folks that have come into healthcare and have been pretty successful in the work we've done. Um, analysts, um, of course, nurses and doctors. I always get excited when I get doctors coming in to do projects with me. Um, so yeah, it's that that diversity um, of thought, diversity of skills uh, can apply to everybody. Great call out. Absolutely. So, Reka, we are right there kind of at the halfway point of our show, and I'm going to pick up the pace a little bit and move you into a part of the show called the two-minute drill. But before we kind of jump into it, just want to make sure you're you're ready to rock and roll. I'm ready. Like, what you don't know is that I've totally color-coded your questions in my journal. (laughs) My OCD coming out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, good stuff. Well, be prepared. Then I'm going to see if I can uh, see see how how prepared you are. We're going to rock and roll. Then um, next question I have for you is something of a two parter. But I'd love if you could first tell our quality people something about your current role that inspires you to do your best. But then also share with us how do you inspire others in your organization? Oh, good question. So. What inspires you the most is our staff, hands down. Our our home-based healthcare providers, they have no hospital. There is no central supply they can call. They are on their own out there. And from our providers to the staff that just make it go, man, they, how their resilience shot is just amazing. And so how do I use them to inspire others? Honestly, I, I not only share what I admire and appreciate about them to my higher ups and in meetings, uh, forefront of every presentation that I do, I make sure that I say it back. I share it with them as well. I share with them how much I appreciate what I appreciate about them, their time and their generosity for my learning. Um, so that's, that's how I hope to inspire them since they understand that they're not there just for a job. Like we need them. All right. Wonderful. And next question, what's the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? Be consistent. Be consistent every day. Wonderful. Love it. Um, If you could trade jobs with anyone in your organization, with whom would it be and why? (sighs) Okay, Jarvis, no judgment here, but um, I wrote chairman of the hospital board. (laughs) And why? Um, Not because the view's better in that boardroom, but I think it would be just an, you talk about, you know, the role of leadership is to create an environment to inspire and create ideas. It's, I would love to be in the room or be a part of those conversations that it's driving that type of uh, system level problem solving and how how that type of insight, like that kind of third eye insight. So, you know, just as a, you know, moonshot. It was like, yeah, why not? I'm not coming for you, Alex. Right. Not coming for you, though. <laughs> so very happy and quality. Well, see, I was just about to say, you know, I want to see you in that boardroom when it's time for you. When you get to that point of your career, uh, the mindset that you're you're sharing on this conversation so far, at least, that's the kind of leadership I want to see in a boardroom personally. So, so Alex, she's coming Man, for you. Man. I'm putting it out. <laughs> Oh. oh, God willing. God willing. Inshallah. Very good. All right. Next, yeah, next question I have for you. Um, would love if you could share a personal habit that contributes to your success when leading quality improvement initiatives. Uh, yeah, I wrote communicating how much you actually know, right? 
So mm-hmm. over communicating how much you actually know and embracing the unknowns uh, together is the way that you build trust, right? So uh, that has consistently worked for me when leading QI teams, even if I've got to be the slowest one on the team, just having them engage and having them give them giving them another opportunity to demonstrate their expertise solid every time. All right, perfect. And that that's so very much aligns with what you shared about, you know, your stakeholder touch point. So, um, so yeah, I love the, the consistency that you're sharing there. I like what you did there, Jar- Jarvis. question <laughs> <laughs> uh, for you. Uh, could you please share a go-to website or mobile application for executing on the work that you lead? Um, so all things outlet work for me, maintain a, a there's a lot of value in, in maintaining an updated Outlook calendar. Um, I really am enjoying some of the new Microsoft Office 360 applications where you're able to like share files and add to files without killing each other's inboxes. Um, so I would absolutely, yeah, leverage Microsoft as much as you can. Um, as far as a website, you know, because we're in healthcare, everything is a little, you know, you got to be sensitive about things. I would say um, as a resource, like definitely the IHI.org, uh, the Institute of Healthcare Institute, whatever it is, um, is is definitely the first place I would go um, to just kind of realign with the that methodology and understanding. And it's, it's that the IHI is such a great resource because it's developed for healthcare professionals. So that is your target audience. Um, I see a lot of talented uh, QI professionals that just just kind of miss the mark when um, they're presenting because they don't take into consideration their audience. Like, you know, that's that's you got to start there. Always start there. Some great resources. Um, speaking of resources, so next question: We'll love if you could also share now a professional society and a professional conference that you think would be a value add. So professional conference, definitely all things catalysis, um, IHI, those conferences are great. Um, you know, QI Professional Society, there's a lot out there uh, that I know probably a lot of your uh, listeners are familiar with, but I would also encourage you to find state and local uh, QI chapters. I In Ohio, we have Lean Ohio. Um, I know that the state has some presence there, but then we also have uh, uh, local QI chapters that maybe aren't within healthcare, but it's cross industry. So I would definitely encourage you to find those. Sometimes it's nice to find your people too, right? I know a lot of listeners are maybe like a department of one or two. Uh, It's sometimes good to kind of talk shop with someone else that's in a different shop. Yeah. Um, I'll share with you, Reka. When I first moved here to Atlanta, where I am now, um, there was very little involvement around just the the profession. So one of the things I did, and and this aligns with what you just said around the local kind of local communities, um, I started a meetup. And you know, meetup.com, you can create a meetup page and just have local meetups. And we were doing lean coffee events for a period of time. Um, I've backed off of them now, obviously, over the last year with the pandemic. But um, I mean, to your point, you know, if you can't find the groups out there or if going to national conferences and things get too much, meetup is like, I don't know, 100, 150 bucks a year. And um, I think I had over 700 people plugging into it. 
I, I mean, that doesn't surprise me. And Jarvis, I think I, I'd like to take an opportunity to just acknowledge your contributions. I think, you know, of course, healthcare quality class, you know, longtime listener, first time caller. Um, I, I, you know, you, the resource that you have provided, especially highlighting those, you know, uh, professionals in this field of color, I think that you, I commend you on, um, on putting this together and, and getting us together. I think that it, that has totally integral to this developing a community and conversation around these things. So thank you. Thank you as well. Thank you. Um, Next question I have for you is, do get back on my page here. We are so off script. <laughs> um, perfect. Here we go. If you could recommend one book for our quality people, what would it be and why? Becoming the Change by John Dussant uh, and Kim Barnes, I believe, just came out. So timely, so relevant, um, especially if you've had to, you know, things have gotten a little sloppy at your organization when it comes to getting back to QI. Again, it just reinforces the tried and true um, lead management system because of the change. I've I've actually given that uh, to a couple of my managers now. Yep. Awesome. I, I've not plugged in with it. I just wrote it down again to, to go look it up and try to pick it up. So thank you for that recommendation. Um, Rekha, we are right there at our very last question. And this is the personal favorite because I'm going to try to get you to reflect on your past while you look forward to your future. So Let's say that you're able to send one text message to yourself 10 years into the past, one text message to yourself 10 years into the future. Take a few seconds to think about it, but what would you communicate in each one of those messages? So my 10-year previous self um, text would be, quote, take the L and move on, end quote. Um, It's a reminder not to let my ego get the best of me um, while I consider myself never to regret any experience, I do think about how much time I wasted on um, not letting it go, not letting that failure go, and how much more time I could have spent with the learning instead of fretting over the failure. Um, I could have had many, I could have had so many more years of liberation if I just embraced that, uh, that thought. So that's what I would say. Take the L and move on. And L stands for loss. (laughs) Um, and so my 10 years ahead of myself, uh, well, 10 years from now, excuse me, um, would be remember to smile. And so, um, uh, you know, I, as a child, I trained as a dancer, um, in Indian dance and, you know, whenever my teacher would tell you, my teacher, my mom, uh, would say, you know, remember to smile was a reminder of your role, right? Like, what what am I doing here? Like, my role is to entertain. Um, so when I hear that, that's what I hear. And then as a performer, you tell yourself, remember to smile, because it then, again, links you back to the intention, right? Like, it's a reminder of why you're here and what you can do. And at the end of the day, you know, after you've done everything you can, sometimes all you can do is just smile. And that's, that's really is, is the best anyone can do. Um, so yeah, remember to smile. Uh, I really just uh, I adore both of those messages. Um, taking the L. So I was just talking to my my seven year old son a few days ago, 
<clears throat> excuse me, we were playing some board games. He got upset when he he's competitive, just like just like me. But I literally said, you got to learn how to how to appreciate the loss is what I told him. And I was like, winning is important, but learning from the loss. So we play again, learn from the lesson, um, remembering to smile. You know, why do we show up every day? Right. It's, it's to provide that support, that value. So um, love both of those mindsets. Um, Rekha, I cannot thank you enough for the time, the insights, um, the, the laughs and the stories that you shared today. So I really, really appreciate you. Um, would love to end the day with you giving our quality people just that parting piece of advice. Um, share with us the best way to follow or connect with you through social media, and then we'll officially sign off. Excellent. So my parting piece of advice is go slow to go fast. You know, um, from at the self level, you know, you want to give more time for learning uh, and more focus than on the solutions. Um, leveraging your experience, right? So going slow to go fast can even help teams uh, develop um, an understanding of one another and identifying blind spots and opportunities together. But you got to go slow before you can go fast. Um, and always you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Well, I, I can vouch for that. It works. She responds. She accepts connections. <laughs> That's uh, right. <laughs> Thank you so much again just for everything you shared today and even that parting piece of advice uh, to our listeners, our quality people everywhere. Thank you all for listening and making us a part of your day. This is Jarvis and Rekha, and we are signing off. Thank you, Jarvis, for the opportunity. Quality people, thank you so much again for plugging in with today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to share it using the social media link posted in the notes below. I'd also be very grateful if you could subscribe, give us a rating, and also share feedback on what additional value we can bring to you through this podcast. That helps a lot with our show rankings and also with getting this great content out to healthcare leaders around the world. And if you want to engage with me directly, then please connect with me on LinkedIn, where I share additional resources, access to our QI community, and much more. All right, quality people, thank you again, and I'll see you back here next week when I introduce you to another quality guest.